This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books. With your host, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead Jr. And best-selling, award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode 189. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And I'm excited about this episode, you guys. Uh, Tom, Both Thomas and I are, because we're going to talk about elevator pitches. And this is not just for traditional authors. It's for any writer who wants to talk about their book in a way that makes people want to pull out their phones immediately and buy your book on the spot. <laughs> and I think that's probably everybody, right, Thomas? That's right. And I know there's a lot of people talking about elevator pitches. Are they good? Are they bad? But the reality is, is that learning how to pitch your book briefly is very important. And while you may not be like some of the guests on the show who've actually pitched their book in an elevator, you will absolutely be somebody who's put on the spot to answer questions about your book. And being able to do that succinctly and compellingly is really key. And I'll tell you, most authors never learn how to do this. They don't know how to talk about their book in a sentence or two in a way that makes people say, now, where can I find that for sale? Like that it minor change makes all the difference, right? As you're talking to people about your book, people are pulling out their phones and buying their books. And we just happen to have a special guest with us on the show today who is an expert at this. Every time he talks about his book, people pull out their phones and want to buy it. And his name is James L. Rubart. <laughs> so uh, this happens to be a topic we don't need a guest for uh, because our very own James Rubart is really good at pitching the book. Uh, so, Jim, I should ask you, what is an elevator pitch? Well, you described it. I love the way you described it, Thomas. Very simply, everyone thinks an elevator pitch is this complicated thing that they can't master or they can't figure out. And real simply, it's a way to tell anyone about your book quickly and tell it in a way that people want to know more about it. That's essentially what an elevator pitch is. And I like how you're saying, Thomas, it's people. Authors come to me and they say, help me with my elevator pitch because I want to pitch this agent or I want to pitch this editor. That's just a very small audience that you'll be pitching your book to. Who you'll really be pitching your book to is the public and somebody on an airplane and somebody you meet you know, at a party. Those are the people that you really want to get comfortable pitching your book to. And uh, this really does make a difference, but it's not just uh, people at a party. It's also the press, right? You're on a podcast talking about your book. You're on a radio show talking about your book. Yep. Radio show or TV. Yeah. All of these places you're brought on to be a guest on some topic and you're talking for 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, if it's a short segment. And then towards the end, the host typically will give it over to the author and say, okay, tell us about your book. And the music for the commercials is about to roll. Like you don't have time to go through <laughs> all of the plot points. You don't have time to talk about all of the amazing characters in your book or all of the amazing you know, things that people are going to learn. You have to know exactly what's the one thing. And the key here is short. <laughs> it's got to be short. Um, adding typically subtracts from an elevator pitch. If you can do it briefly, it is really powerful. And to give some details or definition to this, we would say an elevator pitch is one sentence, one sentence only. And it's probably anywhere from 20, maybe as much as 26 words. So that's not a lot to be able to convey, but that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you do that? Um, 
one thing that will help you when thinking about your elevator pitch is think in terms of high concept. You're not getting into the weeds. You're not getting into the details. You are giving the big brush stroke. Now, sometimes what will happen is you'll give your elevator pitch to an editor, to an agent, to a potential reader on a radio show, and they'll say, well, tell us more about that. Now, that's the point where you can give what Thomas and I would say is a short paragraph, right? This might be 140 words. This is essentially your back cover copy, and that's fine. So you do need to know both of those pitches. But the one we're going to really concentrate on today is that elevator pitch, that 26-word maximum pitch that makes people go, oh my gosh, I got to go to Amazon and check this out. Or like I just said, Jim, you got to tell me more about your book. All right. So how do we do it? You got, you got my attention now. <laughs> what, what is uh, the secret to an elevator pitch? Well, the, f- the first thing you need to do to prepare is realize that talking about your book briefly does not come naturally. And a lot of authors just think, oh, w- when somebody asks, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with something. And and they don't, or they stumble, or it's two minutes long. So it's okay that you're bad at it. (laughs) I have a background in advertising. I've been in advertising for over 20 years. And so essentially, this is what I did for my clients. When I've got 15 seconds to to, um, write a radio ad, or I've got a 30-second TV ad. So I have to convey this very quickly. And essentially, that's what you're doing. You're creating a very short mini ad for your book. And so again, first of all, realize it doesn't come naturally, and that's okay. Um, and realize what you are doing with your pitch is really important. So there is one type of audience for your pitch, which is a reader. So Thomas is a voracious reader. I give him the pitch for my new book. He, um, likes this pitch. And so he goes and buys the book, but Thomas also falls into another category, which is really important to think about. Thomas has how many podcasts do you have now, Thomas? 13 or is it is it 14? I have two and a half, two real podcasts and a guest cast. So two and a half podcasts. But with two and a half podcasts, even with one podcast, Thomas is an influencer. When he talks about, oh my gosh, I just read this book. It's really good. That can create word of, that's essentially word of mouth, which can create more sales and more sales and more sales. So I'm not just conveying this to Thomas, I'm conveying it to Thomas in a way that he can convey it to other people. So keep that in mind. This is a multiplier if you do it right. Another thing to think about is, uh, do I really want to take the time to hone this thing and really polish it? Yes, you do, because you will use it forever as long as you're alive and your books are in print. And if you're indie, they're going to be in print forever. And even if you're traditionally published, odds are you can get your books back at a certain point. So you are going to use this pitch forever. So I guess what Thomas and I are saying is take your time to polish it. Take your time until it works right. And it's something that you do have to do ahead of time. And it is worth it uh, to invest in ahead of time. So let's get let's we have some questions here to help you kind of big picture hone down to that single sentence, because it's not about crafting a good sentence. That's not the first step. The first step is figuring out what that sentence is about, right? What are you going to talk about in that sentence? Because you don't get any semicolons here in this sentence. This isn't, uh, you know, one of those medieval sentences <laughs> that goes on for two pages. Yeah, yeah. you need to on. know what the yeah. core essence of your book is. And this is true whether it's fiction or whether it's nonfiction. And uh, another way to think of this is what is the core why behind your book? Why did you write it? And why should I care? Why should I read it? 
so go ahead, Thomas, with the first question that people need to ask. Yeah. So the first question is, what makes my book different from similar books? Uh, now, if you're traditionally published, you already went through this process. Uh, when you put together your book proposal, you looked at all of the similar books in your market and you talk about how your book is uh, similar and how it's different. And, and as an agent, I get to look at lots of book proposals and I can really tell if people are uh, if they've got it or not, uh, if they're overly insulting of the books that are already successful in their niche, I know they don't got it <laughs> because they don't understand why <laughs> those books were successful. If they're like, oh, all of the books on the topic of parenting are terrible. My book is amazing. As an agent, I'm like, yeah, but do you know who thinks that those books are amazing? The people who buy those kinds of books, right? It's like, there's an audience for this book. This book you just insulted has got a million copies sold. Uh, that's a lot of people who think that you're wrong. Maybe you're the one who's out of touch with the universe, not these million people. Uh, but just because there's books that are similar to yours doesn't mean there's not room for you. It doesn't mean there's not room for your book. But you need to know what's different about your book. Yeah. So it's like, say you write romantic suspense and you come to Thomas and you go, this is a great romantic suspense novel. Okay. I get what romantic suspense is. How is yours different from all the other books that are out there? That's what you need to be able to answer and dig down into because Thomas as an agent, one of his biggest challenges is telling people, I'm sorry, I've seen this idea a thousand times already, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And Thomas is focused on nonfiction. But if, if it's another book on parenting, this is the way this book breaks new ground, or this is a way the book looks at things from an angle that has not been looked at before. And if you can't articulate that, um, then essentially people are going to, it becomes a meh response and they won't take action on your book. So there was a, a book that I've been talking about reading with my wife. We read some books uh, together. Sometimes we'll listen to the audiobook together. Sometimes she'll read it out loud. Uh, we enjoy books together. And there's an author, Naomi Novik. We read her most recent book, and my wife really liked it. Well, Naomi Novik has a series of books that she wrote that I first fell in love with, with Naomi Novik. And when I pitched them to Margaret, here was the pitch that I used. It was like, it's like the, the TV show Horatio Hornblower, which is a naval show. It's like Master and Commander, if you've seen that. It's a Napoleonic War, ships, sails, you know, the height of the sailing ship. And so it's like Horatio Hornblower, but with dragons. <laughs> and for me, I'm like, <laughs> shut up and take your money. And my wife just looks at me and she blinks and she's like, that doesn't make it better. Because <laughs> she's not into dragons. She's not against them. She, as she would say, A likes dragons. She neither likes or dislikes dragons. Um, and so, you know, knowing how it's different is key. And part of being different means that it's not for everyone. It's not for the same audience as the other books. Uh, the Something that makes a book super appealing to me, Presence of Dragons, does not make it super appealing to my wife, which leads us to our next question, which is what makes uh, my book special? So we're asking what makes my book different? And the other qu and next question is what makes my book special? Uh, another way to ask this, we're going to ask about you as the author, what makes you weird? 
<laughs> what makes you unique or appealing? But I like the word weird because we're all weird in some way. We all are yeah. different. And often we feel like that those differences are something that we have to hide. And often those differences are actually where our true strength lies. It's in that difference that we will find our success. It, uh, there's a new term I learned, again, from my wife called stock photo pretty. And if you notice, actors and actresses are often beautiful people, but they're beautiful people in very unusual ways. And they're often it's the B-level actors and actresses who are actually prettier people in an objective sense, right? They more closely adhere to society's um, ideals when it comes to beauty. And yet it's the slightly off actors that are slightly off in a good way that are the ones who often are uh, really successful. Like Tom Cruise has a tooth that comes straight down the middle of his mouth. And it's just a little different, right? It's that little thing that makes him a little bit different. And yet he's he's very attractive and he's very successful. So we're asking the same question about you. What makes you weird? It's not going to have to do with your physical appearance, though, because you're not an actor, right? It makes you what you as a writer weird. And taking time to drill down into this, and we're getting a little bit into the brand, uh, into branding, but this, that's okay, because this is so important. Uh, Darcy and I, okay, true confession time. I'm telling everyone now, I can't believe I'm admitting it, but we love American Idol and we're watching this new season. And you, I know Thomas, I know. And uh, I got to tell you, Lionel Richie and Katy Perry and Luke Bryant, I, I think they're amazing judges. They, we really like them. Anyway, so what I see, and I know this, but it, what I've been reminded of lately watching the show is it's not just about the music. I mean, it is the whole package, right? It's everything about these contestants. So it's not just singing the perfect song. Like you said, Thomas, it's not the perfect profile. Thomas, Tom Cruise doesn't have the perfect profile, you know, look at his nose. It's just not. And yet there's something about him and that's different, a little bit unique. And these singers, the ones that really capture you are the ones that really are willing to be totally who they are. And they throw off all caution to the wind and the judges will say, yeah, you're the total package. You're not just the singing. You're not just choosing the right song. It's the way you perform. It's everything. And so what is weird about you? What is unique? What is appealing? Jump deep into that. And along those same lines, you also want to ask, what makes my book weird? So it's not just about you being weird. It's about your book being weird. How is your book different from the other books uh, that are similar to it? And it doesn't, you don't want to be too weird, right? It has to be similar enough where people of a genre want <laughs> right. to buy your kind of book. People like us do things like this. People like us read books like this. So you want to be the right amount of weird. And we'll do an episode on branding here soon. We're already talking about revisiting branding. We've talked about it in the past. We'll talk about it again. Uh, but another question, and this question actually really can change your pitch. And that is, who is my book for? The way I pitch a book often will change depending on the audience, right? There's uh, multiple audiences that can read a single book. They may read different things about that book or what's draw what draws them to the story is different. Uh, so what draws a 12-year-old boy to Harry Potter, uh, or let's, uh, let's change it to um, Twilight, right? What draws a teenage girl to Twilight is something different than what draws a 40-year-old woman to Twilight. They're both, both of those demographics are huge readers of Twilight, but they read for different reasons. Uh, for the teenage girl, it's her story, right? It's a story about a teenage girl. And so there's a lot of empathy there of like, oh, it's like my high school, but with vampires, right? Oh, it's more exciting. Whereas for <laughs> a 40-year-old woman, it's getting, it's escapist in a very different way. It's getting to feel like 
a teenager again, right? Those memories are very far away. It's been forever since I was in high school. And Twilight allows me to go back and experience high school again. And, and experience high school in this idealized sense where I'm beautiful, everyone is beautiful, and there's drag, uh, and there's vampires, right? So how you would pitch the book verbally to a teenage girl may be different than how you pitch the book to a uh, 40-year-old woman. And it doesn't change the book, right? You're just uh, uh, accentuating different features. You're putting different bait on the hook, depending on what kind of fish you're trying to catch. The next question we encourage you to ask is, what is the number one most interesting thing about your book? And this is important in, well, let me say it this way. Well, let me read this again. What is the number one most interesting thing? Not two, three, four, five. Because what happens is people want to pack all these different things into the pitch and it dilutes the impact of that one thing. It's the story of the Indian, you know, mystic man who says, I can lay on a thousand nails, you know, and he lays down on the thousand nails and he gets up and says, see, I am not injured. <laughs> Instead of going, no, really impress us. Lay on one nail. I want to see that. If you do that, I would be impressed because that punches through. But too many nails spreads out all the weight and it's not as impressive. So if you want to punch through to your reader, if you want to make an impression on them, that's really strong, you pick one nail and pick the most interesting nail in your book. And for fiction, hopefully this is your protagonist. Uh, the temptation with a elevator pitch is you put too many characters into the elevator pitch <laughs> and you can't do that. Uh, and often if you can just have one interesting protagonist who has one interesting challenge, uh, that is all you have room for. And if that's good enough, it's good enough. And if you do it well, it's really very powerful. Let us repeat. This has to be easy for you to say, but even more important, it has to be easy for the person you tell it to to say, because you want them to be able to repeat it. And if it's confusing or complex or too detailed, they're not going to be able to repeat it to the next person they bump into. If it's very easy to say, then it'll be easy for them to say to potential multiplying readers. Okay. So Jim, give us, give us some examples. Uh, what's an example? Take us through your process of developing an elevator pitch. So when I start developing an elevator pitch, I want to boil it down to the, like Thomas, like we just said, and Thomas was talking about, um, you know, that one thing, that hook, that, that element of the story that's going to make people go, oh my gosh, I got to know more about that. And so I'll give an example from my first novel rooms, which came out in 2010. Here's my elevator pitch. And I've been using this since about 2009. So I've been using this thing for 10 years and it really hasn't changed much. So let's, I'll give it to you and then, and then I'll show you how to make it even shorter than it is. It's about a young Seattle software tycoon who inherits a home on the Oregon coast that turns out to be a physical manifestation of his soul. Boom. That's all I say. Now, what I've done here is I've given you context. The guy, my protagonist is young. He's in Seattle, so that gives you a place where he is. So now we're grounded. Okay, I've got a picture in my mind of a young guy. He's in Seattle. Oh, he's in software. Okay. He inherits a home, all right, down on the Oregon coast. All right, I know where that is. That turns out to be a physical manifestation of his soul. And that's the hook where people go, what? And, and people at that point will either go, wow, that sounds really cool. Or that sounds a little too bizarre for me. And that's okay. I want people to love me, hate me, just don't ignore me. And this is the type of pitch where, again, I've been doing it for 10 years now, where people go, oh my gosh, I, I got to know more about that. Or they go, oh, it doesn't seem like the type of story for me. 
Either of those reactions are fine with me. Now let's break it down even further. How can I shorten that? How can I make it even shorter? Because sometimes you need to have an elevator pitch that you can give um, where it only goes to the first floor, right? You don't have 30 seconds to go up to the to the floor that's uh, three or four uh, floors up. So we could cut it down to, it's about a man who inherits a home that turns out to be a physical manifestation of his soul. We can make it even shorter than that if we say... Wait, wait, I just want to cut in real quick, though, and, and talk about what you cut. You cut Seattle, you cut Soft Tycoon, you cut Oregon, because none of those things really matter, right? That's not the hook. That's not the one right. thing that's most interesting. And I also want to point out, you don't have the romantic thread here. You don't have the quirky mentor character. You don't have any of the other characters in the book, the like shadow demon, like none of that is in here. It's and yet it still can get focused more to it's about a man who inherits a home that turns out to be a physical manifestation of his soul. Now I want you to short, shorten it even more. Give us the, the even shorter focused version. Okay. So if I had to short, shorten it even more, I'd say, Thomas, it's about a man who walks into the rooms of his own soul. Boom. I'm done. So that's what? Three second, the three second elevator pitch. Yeah. So, and that's about as short as it can get. I, I almost feel like that middle version is ideal because the fact that it's a that physical home, I think is important because walking into the rooms of his own soul almost could be seen as a figurative thing uh, where it's like chapter two, room number two, chapter three, room number three. And that's not what this is at all. Um, so it is possible to make it too short. And and of these three, which one do you use the most often? You use the first one the most often. Is that right? I, I use the first one the most often. But it's still only one sentence. We are shortening a sentence into a shorter version of that same sentence. So, uh, all right. So yeah. let's, let's go on to some quick uh, tips for uh, pitching. Uh, the first pitch point is don't put every worm on the hook. So what does that mean? So... In other words, when you're fishing, you don't put every worm on the hook to catch the fish. You just need one worm on the hook to catch the fish. And essentially, you're trying to catch fish as readers, and you want them to do something, correct? So you give them one worm on the hook, and that makes them go to the back cover copy. Or that makes them, if you're talking to them live, that makes them get on their phone and go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever and check out the book in detail. So as Thomas said earlier, you don't have to say, I don't have to say, oh, there's this romantic subplot with Sarah and there's this mentor character, Rick, and there's, you know, what's going on with his company and the dissolution of his company and all that. I don't need to give you that. All I need to give you is one worm so that you'll go and take action and go find out more about the book. And uh, d different bait for different fish. We've already talked about that, but we put it uh, here as well. Sometimes it makes sense to have multiple pitches uh, for your book and you can test them out and see which one works the best on different audiences. Uh, and then, uh, Jim, uh, this is show business, right? We want people to want leave wanting more. Uh, and if as soon as you see people's eyes glaze over, you have lost the sale. <laughs> so you never want to talk so much where they don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> exactly. Or you want to stop. Uh, there's also this talking past the close in, in sales, right? Once you've made the sale, you want to shut up and actually let them make the purchase, so to speak. Uh, so leave them wanting more. Yeah. When they show that buying signal, <laughs> be quiet and let them buy. And with, with with this pitch, this guy inherits this home that turns out to be a physical manifestation of his soul. 
that's leaving the audience wanting more. People are going, what does that look like? How does that play out? How does this happen? That's leaving the audience wanting more. This, This is show business, right? This is show business. And so you are, again, you're pitching a product. You are an ad agency when you are developing these things and you want the audience the, the reaction you want is I don't want to know anything more about that, or I've got to know more about that. Those are the two reactions you're going for. And uh, we get to see a lot of pitches. Uh, not, uh, not everyone is a patron. We realize that, but on our special patrons only podcast episode, one of the things that we do after we answer questions from that month from our patrons, uh, we then go in and sometimes our patrons will send us their pitches for the book. And sometimes it's back cover copy, which is a little bit different. You have more room than just one sentence, Uh, but we give them feedback on uh, how to pitch their book. And if you're a patron, if you want to sign up to become a patron at novelmarketing.com and forward slash Patreon, we'd love to have you as a patron. And uh, we can do this for you. But I will say one of the things that we do the most often, you don't have to become a patron to learn this, is we cut characters from the pitch. (laughs) So very often there's too many people, too many moving pieces, too many characters in the pitch for fiction. Uh, And just by cutting those characters, it frees up a lot of words to really focus on that special hook, uh, that special um, something, the sizzle in the steak. And then... Finally, practice, right? You can practice by pitching and Patreon. Uh, in Patreon. In our group, you can pack practice on posting it on Facebook in the Novel Marketing Facebook group, which is free. You can practice at the next party you go to. You actually get a lot of opportunities to practice your pitch because every time somebody asks you, oh, what do you do? You say, I'm an author. And they're like, oh, that's cool. What do you write? Boom, practice. <laughs> Watch their face. See if they are enjoying your pitch. Yeah. And, and you guys probably get this. I get this all the time where uh, people say, what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm a writer. Oh, what kind of things do you write? And it's very tempting to answer that question. Well, I, I write novels and what I do. And I say, um, well, tell you what, let me, let me tell you what my first book's about. And you'll kind of get a feel for the type of novels I write. So you can control that conversation and you can hone in on, on what you think your best elevator pitch is the one you really love. And I typically go with rooms because it is so captivating. Um, and over the years I've learned, that's the one where people again say, Oh my gosh, I, I got to know more about that. Or wow, that doesn't sound like my type of book. So if you've written multiple books and somebody says, so what do you do? That's a way to answer that question that I've found really effective. All right. So the number one mistake to avoid is being boring. So if your pitch is boring, no one is going to buy your book. Jim, what's the number two mistake to avoid? The number two mistake to avoid is being boring. (laughs) We can't emphasize this enough. Back to Thomas's thing about eyes glazing over. Um, I've had times where I've just not pitched well on a book and I haven't polished the pitch. And when I see their eyes glazing over, uh uh-huh, 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 it's like, oh boy, I got to go back and make that exciting. All right. So now we have some pitch templates for you. You can see printed version of versions of these at novelmarketing.com forward slash 189 for the show notes. You can also just scroll down in your app. Uh, The first pitch template is actually from a website that I found that I was very impressed with. And it's called the auto publicist and it has these columns where you just select a word from each column. And in about two minutes, you can have a pitch. (laughs) That's just a beginning um, starting point, but it's actually going to be a really strong pitch because it's so focused on um, 
the story. It's only for novelists, but I'll, I, I'll have a link to that. You can tap in your app uh, to go listen to that. Uh, the next pitch template, and this is uh, one, Jim, I know you're a big fan of, is the what if motif. Uh, so, Jim, give us some examples of how you've used this uh, to pitch your books. Yeah, I'll give you just a quick rundown on a few of my books, and hopefully you'll be able to take this and use this for your books. Uh, this has been really effective for me, and it's been effective for a lot of uh, a lot of my students over the years. So what if you were given a chair and told it was made by Jesus Christ and had supernatural healing powers? Boom. That's it. I'm done. That's from my novel, The Chair. What if you could have a conversation with your 23-year-old self? That's from The Five Times I Met Myself. You can see in both these cases, questions are raised in your mind, and that's what you want to do with the reader. You want the reader to go, uh, what? What's going on with that? I wonder what that's about. What if you found a legendary lost corridor at the end of a lake that if you got through would give you what you want most in the world? That's from The Long Journey to Jake Palmer. And what if you woke up one morning and the darkest parts of you had vanished? And that's from The Man He Never Was. So again, I've really quickly gone through most of my books or about half of my books with that what if question that hopefully uh, is intriguing enough to say, I got to know more. Uh, for nonfiction, that's probably not a pitch template you're going to want to use. Uh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> but uh, for a lot of nonfiction, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, the kind of classic uh, nonfiction pitch is a problem solution or sometimes a problem cause solution. You've probably heard this uh, formula before. Uh, this is what I used uh, for my book, Courtship and Crisis, in the pitches. Courtship and Crisis explains why the marriage rate in America has plummeted and how you can avoid becoming part of that statistic by finding and marrying the love of your life. And then we have the theme pitch. Uh, what is this, Jim? Yeah, the theme pitch is a little bit different because you're not telling the story. You're not trying to to, to explain what the story is about. You're trying to explain what the theme is about. And I developed this because I was in a situation where I realized I don't, I don't, I can't, even, I don't have time to go up even one floor. I got to get this across in three seconds and make it intriguing enough for somebody to say, all right, I need to know more about this. And I'll tell you where it was. It was actually at the American Library Association event in January in Seattle. And I went over there and my publisher had set up a booth and they said, okay, Jim, we're going to be getting the librarians that are strolling the floor. We got to get them over to you. And I said, well, don't they all want ARCs? No, they don't. There's so many publishers here and there's so many ARCs being given away that the librarians are like, oh, we're overloaded. We don't need one more book. So we have to get a hook to get them over to take a look at your book. What's the theme of your book? What would you advise? I said, okay, let's do this a little different. Let's not try to tell them what the book's about because their eyes are going to glaze over really quick because everybody's coming after them. So instead, we'll tell, tell them the theme of the book. And I think that might work. And so here's what I came up with. It's about a woman who stands up for herself for the first time in her life. And my gosh, that thing worked so well. We were through these hundred books extremely quickly. Now, timing wise for that book, that works. Why? Because we have this movement going on in this country for, I'll say, the last two years really intently, where women are standing up for themselves for the first time. And it's a really cool, powerful mo movement going on, right? So I kind of piggybacked on that. And it, it does happen to be what the book's about. And so what happened is they'd go, oh, that's interesting. Then they came over to me, and then I could give the, uh, we'll call it the 26-word pitch. And so, Thomas, I encourage you to figure out, okay, what is the theme of my book? Can I put you pitch it with just telling the theme in a very short, concise way. 
That's really good. And I think, I hope this will be helpful for each of you when it comes to your pitch. You're not going to get it right away and it evolves over time. Like Jim, I think the, you know, it's about a woman who stands up for herself for the first time in her life is, you know, perhaps your best pitch. It wasn't your first pitch, but I feel like it's a really strong pitch. And it, it it's something you improve at with practice. You learn how to pitch the book you have. It also helps you write better books because if you're finding that your book is hard to pitch, that means it's probably not going to sell very well because it means you don't quite know how it connects with the audience. What about it is the you know point of the spear? And if you don't know that, they're not going to know it. And if they don't know it, they're not going to buy it. And so that's often a real big warning sign. And as you learn how to pitch books and as you write books that are easy to pitch, you'll realize, oh, I need to incorporate some elements into this book that will help draw people in. <laughs> it will be that first thing that they see, uh, you know, the sizzle that makes you interested in eating the steak where you kind of tease them with just a little bit. And we have a featured patron. With a good with a good pitch, <laughs> so uh, uh, th- we have a, these go in a certain order, and I, this one worked out well. Uh, our featured patron today is "The Land Without Color" by Benjamin Ellifson, and his pitch uses Jim's "What If" model. I, I don't know if you worked with him on this pitch or if he developed this on his own, but here's the pitch: uh, What if you were transported to a land without color, and the only one who could restore it was you? Uh, so, thank you, Benjamin, for helping keep the podcast. Alive with your patronage. Yes. And you help fund all of the expenses uh, that goes into making a podcast, which is not as cheap as you would think. It's actually uh, surprisingly expensive to put these episodes out <laughs> for free. In fact, our sponsor today is the Novel Marketing Patreon page. So uh, many of you already, and I just want to say thank you to those of you who support us, uh, patronize or are patrons of the Novel Marketing Podcast, which means every month you donate. or $5, or if you get your uh, show listed or mentioned, even more than that. And uh, in exchange, you get, you know, the warm satisfaction of knowing you keep the show on the air. Uh, You get a sense of ownership and our uh, undying (laughs) thanks. But you also get exclusive discounts. A lot of our patrons actually saved more money than they have spent because of all of these exclusive discounts that you get. So it's a little bit like a Costco or Sam's Club membership. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. But you also get, and I think this the biggest benefit, uh, is that you get access to a patrons-only episode every month that's a Q&A episode where we answer the patrons' questions. And this is really exclusive because there's not a lot of patrons. So it's almost like a mastermind group in the uh, amount of access that you get. And we answer questions first, and then we give feedback on pitches. So you can hear feedback on your specific pitch and on other patrons-specific pitches and some people will bring their pitch back over and over again and we keep tweaking it and you get to watch it evolve and grow over time which is uh, really exciting so thank you all uh, for who are patrons and if you want to learn more we'll have a link in the show notes and if people don't go to the show notes thomas how what what where do they go do they go to novelmarketing.com to become a patron you can go to novelmarketing.com or just scroll down in wherever you are. If you're on Facebook or if you're on uh, in your podcast app, just scroll down. The show notes should be there. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, Jim, you just got done with another one of your retreats. How did it go? Oh, my gosh. It was it was fantastic. And I got to give a shout out to Sully, Tom Sullivan. He, he was the first person to come 
uh, directly from the Novel Marketing Podcast. And Sully was awesome. It was so good. So Sully, if you're listening, um, so great to have you there. And uh, we ended up just with just an excellent group of people. Uh, so it went really well. I am flying out tomorrow for Switzerland. So when you hear this, I will have landed and returned home. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> I will return safely from Switzerland. <laughs> uh, not tomorrow, yeah. sorry, day after tomorrow. We are taking a five-month-old baby on an international flight. And I'm hoping that she's not teething while we're in the air and that everyone loves us and that everything will go well. <laughs> exactly. That, that is the, that is the hope. And, and I'm leaving on Friday for Colorado Springs. So Thomas, we are vacating <laughs> the international headquarters of the novel marketing podcast, both of us for a few days, but uh, well, we may still keep an eye on Facebook. If any of y'all have any questions or want to post your elevator pitches and comments uh, to this episode, uh, don't forget about the Facebook group. It's free to join. We'd love to interact with you there and you have been listening to james l rubart and thomas umstead jr on the novel marketing podcast giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline online and everywhere in between thanks for listening